If you have your Bibles, let's turn back to that passage in Matthew 16, 16. It is really weird. I just went to put the hymnal down there and there's a robot down there. Uh, for a second, it, it threw me off. I was like, what's going on? Uh, but we're, we're really finishing up uh, now. I mean, it, it's hard to say that we're finishing up this look at how glorious Christ is, right? Because uh, technically we could just keep going and and really every sermon is looking back ultimately at the glory of the Lord and the and the glory of Christ uh, but as we're doing this survey hopefully giving you ammunition to be enamored with who Jesus is to be enamored with what he's done for you to see what is so glorious about Jesus uh the Christ Jesus our Lord Jesus our savior uh we started now looking at this last title what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the Christ Uh, What does it mean when we say, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? A lot of times we don't put the the in there. I like to put the the in there just because I think it, one, it makes people think. But uh, what are we, what are we supposed to think of uh, when we think of Jesus as Christ? What does the word Christ even mean? Uh, How does that relate to who Jesus is? That's kind of what we looked at last week was seeing that one, this is who the Christ, this is what Christ means. This is what uh, the Christ is going to be. It's what the people were waiting on. And Jesus was that. So the glory of Christ last week is that Christ was sort of the fulfillment of the expectation of a Messiah, of a Messiah that the people were uh, waiting on. They were waiting for this Christ. And so it's a big deal that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, does anybody remember how many times we said the New Testament mentions uh, the name Christ? How many times is Jesus called Christ? Does anybody got it? Just a ballpark figure. Does anybody remember? Yeah, over 500 times. More, you know, 20 times more than he's called Savior. Uh, More than twice the amount that he's even called Lord. Jesus is called the Christ. And yet, when we look at those things, when we look at Savior and Lord, Christ is actually one that we know the least about in terms of what does that word mean. Uh, we, know, we knew that Jesus called the Christ, but we, we often don't know what does it mean that he's the Christ. If I were to ask you what does it mean that he's Lord, you would have a quick answer. You know, it means he's, he's in charge. He's the one that I'm supposed to obey. If I were to say what does it mean that he's Savior, you'd go, well, it means that he saved me. Uh, but if we ask you what does it mean that he is the Christ, uh, we might be lucky if you said, well, that means he's the Messiah. And if you said, well, what does that mean? You'd be like, well, yeah, didn't exactly know where to go after that. Uh, so we saw that, that the Christ means the anointed one, that, that really throughout the Old Testament, there's been this, this picture of those who've been anointed by God to achieve a certain purpose. That, that anointing is done physically in, in us in terms of prophets, priests, and kings uh, who are anointed with oil to show that God had already anointed them, not with oil, but with his Holy Spirit to do something. So priests anointed to intercede for the people, prophets anointed by God to speak, uh, and then kings anointed by God to lead the people. That there's, so the Old Testament was filled with all of these sort of many Christs, but they were leading up to one great Christ. And we saw last week that the people realized that's who Jesus was, that Jesus was that long anticipated Christ. So there's what is so glorious about Jesus being the Christ. One thing is he's just the fulfillment of all that hope. I mean, Jesus is, so they're waiting on this person. You've got Simeon, uh, you've got Anna, you've got even Andrew, right? And going and telling Peter, even Peter, right? This is the Christ, the one we've been waiting on. Even the Samaritan woman knows that we're supposed to be waiting on a Messiah. And Jesus comes and says, yeah, that's me. So part of the glory of who is Jesus is he is that long expected promise of God. 
The, the anointed one, not just another A anointed one, not a little C Christ, not a little M Messiah, but the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who is going to come and achieve, uh, really fulfill all of the promises of God. And that's why we looked at 2 Corinthians 1.20 uh, last week to sort of finish it. That, uh, and we'll look at that exact verse this week as well to finish what we're talking about uh, today. So to see this great proclamation, because what we're going to do today is we're going to see, so Jesus is that, he is the Messiah. Now we're going to say, well, what is so glorious about that? What glory is tied up in that role? What is so glorious about being the greatest prophet? What glory is tied up in being the greatest priest, the greatest king? What sort of glory is tied up in that phrase, uh, the Christ? And, and we'll begin with Matthew 16, 16. Let's stand in the, in the honor of reading God's word. We'll see that as, as Peter makes this proclamation, this proclamation that he's then going to write about at the end of 2 Peter, uh, we're going to see that, G, that Peter expects us to, to realize that the Christ is a glorious name. And we're going to see why it was so glorious that, that he spouted this. So Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's pray. We come to you today, Father, and we lift up in the name of Jesus, our prayers, Jesus, our Christ, the Christ sent by you to fulfill all of the promises that you made. All of them finding their yes in him so that we utter our amen to you for his glory. We thank you, Father, for who Jesus is. We thank you that he is the Christ. May you help us to understand what is so glorious about that name, that the whole of your kingdom can be built upon that one truth. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so that's, we, we saw sort of what the, the, the Christ is. He is the, the, the Christ, this fulfillment of the, the promise of God. But, but what, again, is so glorious about that? If you remember, sort of, the, we, we talked about how the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, really covered a lot of people in the Old Testament. You had these individuals who were sometimes appointed for task, even not even Israelite. You, know, you had foreign kings uh, that could be called the Lord's anointed, uh, that could be called the Lord's messiahs because they'd been anointed by God to, to achieve a, a task. Uh, but you've also got whole roles in the Old Testament where every the, the individuals in that role were anointed for that task. They were, they were Christed. They were messiahed for that task, signifying that they'd been appointed by God to do it. That this is, these people aren't just taking this role upon themselves. You can't just choose to call yourself prophet. You can't just choose to call yourself a priest. You can't, you certainly can't choose to call yourself king. Uh, things don't go very well when someone does that. Uh, and so you had people appointed by God to do these things. And then the people themselves would recognize God's appointment and anoint these people uh, for that task. But, but they all, they all are playing sort of a shadow role. Right? They're all sort of pointing us forward to a greater prophet, to a greater priest, to a greater king, to a greater Messiah uh, who was to come. So you had, you had these prophets, you had these priests, you had these kings 
all anointed by God and all portraying their, their shadows uh, and shadows of our salvation. So for the prophets, what did they do? The prophets didn't just speak the word of God, right? The, what words did God give to the prophets? They were words of what? Of repentance and faith. Uh, you go to the priests. The priests weren't just killing things, but what were they trying to do? They were playing out the shadow of reconciling the people to God, of our sins needing to be atoned for. These are all salvific roles. The king, kings aren't just leading the people. They are leading the people or supposed to lead the people to what? To righteousness, to not be like the nations around them. They're supposed to lead them. This is why, what was the king supposed to do? Every king was supposed to take and write a copy, his own copy of what? The law. They were supposed to write down the law by hand, every king, because that's the, how is the king supposed to rule? You're supposed to point the people toward this, toward obedience to the Lord. So all of these pictures are not just random roles. All of these roles are pointing ultimately to our salvation. Prophets, priests, and kings, they're all shadows of our salvation. So when we get to Jesus, it is not surprising that he takes each of those sort of many pictures of what happens in our salvation, and he is the fulfillment of that. He is the ultimate example of the prophet, the ultimate example of the priest, the ultimate example of the king. He is what all of those really were pointing to in one person. All of the prophets were pointing to what Jesus would do. All of the priests were pointing to what Jesus would do. All of the kings were pointing to what Jesus would do. All of that's why that's why when you get to Jesus, that's one of the things that makes him so glorious is you can take every prophet, every priest, every king, and they all are just a picture of him. So there, there is great glory in that. So let's see exactly how Jesus is the ultimate of each one of these. And let's begin with prophet. It's just typical that we do that, prophet, priest, and king, right? So we'll begin with prophet. Jesus is the glorious prophet. He is the ultimate prophet who is what? Who is the word of God. So the, the prophets, they had a singular role in the, in the nation of Israel. They spoke the word of God. They called the nation to repentance and faith. Of course, you couldn't appoint yourself as a prophet. You, you couldn't say God spoke unless God actually spoke to you. So God either spoke to you or he didn't as a prophet. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is different than the prophets. So Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. Hebrews Hebrews is going to start off by letting us know one thing that is going to be different about Jesus is that his difference from the prophets. So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we get the, the difference between Jesus and the prophets. Jesus isn't just sort of uh, different. From, he's not replacing the prophets because he's entirely different from them. Jesus replaces the prophets because he is the fulfillment of the prophetic role. He's the fulfillment of, the, of, prophet, of prophets just in general and of the prophetic message. So, so Jesus is greater than, the, he's not different from the prophets in a totally different sort of way. Jesus is greater than the prophets. He is the ultimate prophet, the one all of the other prophets pointed to. And we actually see this in the next verse. Uh, in, that, in that how Jesus is different is that Jesus doesn't just speak of power. He is power. 
So the prophets would speak of what God is going to do, right? They would talk about the power that God was going to enact. The difference with Jesus is his speaking is that power. He is not going to say, hey, this guy is going to do something else or this power is going to come from him like the prophets were doing. They were just, the prophet didn't have any power. You go back, Elijah, the one we, the one we looked at. Elijah, he didn't create the fire on the altar, right? He went to God and he was like, look, God, <laughs> now would be a good time to do this. Uh, and the Lord sent fire, consumed the altar and licked up, licked up even the dust. But Elijah didn't have the power in himself. Jesus, though, Hebrews is going to show us, has the power in him. And we saw it already at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3. So, so let's look at verse 2 and 3. So he spoke to us by the prophets, but Jesus is different how. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. See, prophets could talk to us about the great power of God. Prophets could talk to us about how God holds up the world by his power. When Jesus speaks, his words are the very words that hold up the universe with his power. Jesus, in other words, Jesus isn't just a messenger. He is the son. He is, as you look here, he's the son. He's the heir. He's the creator. He himself is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And the universe is upheld by his words. All of the prophets, they had power by by proxy. And, And they were shown to be prophets either by their words being backed up by God or not. So if Elijah said, God's gonna do this and or God can do this or this can happen and nothing happened, well, then Isaiah's really powerless. Or Elijah's really powerless because they don't have the power in themselves. They're waiting on God to do something. They're needing the Lord to enact Christ in himself as the heir, as the son, as the exact imprint of God, as the one who created the world. He has the power in himself to enact what he speaks. He is not waiting on on the power of another. He is the power His power is his own. It is not simply given to him. So Jesus is the ultimate power and the ultimate prophet in that he is a messenger with the power in himself, not just power in his message. But Jesus is also the ultimate prophet in that he doesn't just speak the word. He is the word. So here again, we see the, the tie. Jesus, the, the prophet who is the word of God. So these other prophets, they would speak, but there was no power in their speaking unless it was backed up by God. Jesus has the power in his word. So we see this idea that Jesus is the word of God, of course, most clearly in John chapter one. John chapter one, this great intro to John. Look at verses one through five. What does it say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him uh, was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So again, we see what similarities do we see with Hebrews here? We see that this word is tied to what? Uh, we see the word tied to creation. Uh, but, but, Jesus is not just giving us uh, like the prophets. He's not just giving us a word from God. What is Jesus? Jesus is the word. 
And so, and then you jump down, if you jump down to verse 14, what does the word do? It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is only the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So here again, back to Hebrews, what do you see? You see the son, right? This word is the son, but this word is not just delivered to us verbally, as in the case of the prophets. Here, the word of God is delivered to us bodily. The prophets could speak God's word. Christ is God's word in the flesh. So that you, and you see him named in verses 16 through 18. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And he doesn't just inform us about God like the prophets did. Jesus makes God known. So when we're wondering about what makes Christ the the glorious prophet, what's so glorious about Jesus as prophet? Well, he is the fulfillment of what all the other prophets pointed to. He was the ultimate both messenger and message. He was messenger and message tied up in one. He is the fulfillment of all these things. He is the the greatest prophet who doesn't just give us God's word, but who is God's word. So as you're reading about the prophets in in the Old Testament, every one of them who is speaking the word of God and who is speaking the word of God as a godly person, as a righteous individual, they are all just shadows of what Jesus would be. That, that he would be the word of God. He is himself the message. He is himself the ultimate messenger and the ultimate message. But he's not just the greatest prophet. He's also uh, the greatest priest. And priests too had been appointed by God for their role. They were anointed. So Jesus is the, the glorious priest who is the sacrifice. So he's the prophet who is the word and he's the priest who is the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice that reconciles us to God through his own perfect life. You you go through the Old Testament, there's this really elaborate, you know, you're reading through the Bible and you're reading through the law, you get to Leviticus and you're trying to, you're really trying to pay attention and it's a really elaborate like sacrificial system, right? It's like, you know, the the sheep or a goat and when can you do turtle doves and, you know, all of this and you're, I mean, it was elaborate on purpose But one of the things you also notice in the sacrificial system, as elaborate as it is with all of these sacrifices, is what? Sacrifices can't sacrifice themselves, right? Sacrifices don't sacrifice themselves. And so God appoints people to the task of enacting that sacrificial system. So, hey, for your sin, a lamb needs to die, or a bull needs to die, or turtle doves, or this is what your offering needs to be. And you go, yeah. And then it goes, well, how's that going to happen? Well, God anoints priests whose job it is to enable this sacrificial system to work. Because people were out, you know, doing their thing uh, and needing to bring these sacrifices to the temple. Uh, And can you imagine the line if everyone, you know, had their own sort of thing or needing to walk? Is it my turn in the Holy of Holies yet? Uh, And and all of this... uh, but these priests, they weren't, they weren't just sort of, you know, these, these uh, you know, job-specific laborers, maybe. They were representatives of the people. The priest, specifically the, the, the high priest, was the, the one who could enter the Holy of Holies 
He was the, the, could go in, confess the sins of the people, atone for those sins through sacrifices. That high priest was a picture of what every one of us needed to do. That we all needed to have our sins paid for. It was, and the sacrifice was a picture of the death that we all deserved. It was a picture of repentance and, and faith. That's what all of these sacrifices are, uh, are pointing us to. A, a picture of sins being paid for. But the sacrificial system and its sacrificers, the priests, were all just shadows. They weren't meant to be the end. They were meant to point us to something greater. You see this, for example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible tells us, look, when you're reading about the sacrificial system and you're reading about sacrifices and priests and all of this, realize that that was pointing you not to be an answer in themselves. You're supposed to look at that and go, wait, this lamb's dying and that's paying for my sins and I'm not even doing it. That guy's the one walking in and confessing my sins and somehow my sin is paid for because that guy walks in and, and kills a lamb on my behalf. It's all meant to be a shadow of what would come in Christ. So Hebrews 10 verse 1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. So the sacrificial system was a shadow. It was a picture, but it didn't achieve those things. It pictured, hey, I need my sins paid for. Hey, there needs to be blood shed for my sin. I need to go like the high priest did. I do need to enter God's presence and confess my sin before him. But the sacrificial system was just a picture of those things. And, and, and it was imperfect. Like it says here, these things are offered year after year. So the, the imperfection of the, of the sacrificial system can be seen in the acts. The acts themselves are imperfect. They're repeated continually. You have to do them daily. They're done by sinful men, right? The high priest wasn't perfect. So here you are, the guy bringing your sacrifice. You're going, well, I kind of know a little bit about him that maybe we need a different guy in there doing this. Uh, so so the, the very act itself, the, you're, you're offering up animals instead of yourself, right? I deserve to die. How is my sin being paid for by this lamb? So the act themselves... But even the actions, right? The, the, the actions of them, uh, of not just the sacrificial system, but of the people. You can see how effective the sacrificial system was because even after the acts, what did the people do? They sinned. They kept sinning over and over. That's one of the reasons you had to offer them again. It's because these, these sacrificial acts did not actually change the people and then the actors themselves. So the, in the act, in the actions, and then in the actors, the, the high priest... What did he do? He died. The high priest would die. Even if you had a good one, he would die. And you'd have to get a new high priest, a new anointed, a new Christ who would stand in your place and take your sin to the Lord. And then he would die. And that's if he even remembered what he was supposed to be doing, right? Instead of just, you know, taking your sacrifice and eating it for himself and saying, yeah, yeah, don't worry, I sacrificed it. Uh, man, that lamb was good. Uh, so even if he was a good one, you know, the, the, so the whole system pointed out its imperfections. But the system wasn't broken. This doesn't mean the system didn't work or that it was wrong. The system was achieving its purpose because it was setting us up for the perfect sacrifice. 
It was, it was, these shadows were all pointing us forward to the one who would come, who would fulfill all these things. So when you get to Jesus, Jesus is this glorious high priest that all of the other priests were pointing to. He is the anointed one of God. He is the Christ, the Messiah who reconciles us to God, not through the life of some lamb, not through the life of some bull, but through his own perfect life and his own death. So Hebrews comes to us and says, look at the sacrificial system, see its shadows, and then see the son that is Jesus Christ. The, the, the whole, per, I mean, you could, if you want to go and see this really laid out, read Hebrews uh, 4 through 10, where it just lays out how Jesus is really what all of these sacrifices were pointing to, pointing out all of these shadows. So the, it shows us how Jesus is the ultimate priest, the one that all the others pointed to. For example, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. So it's talking about the brokenness of all these priests that were broken and imperfect. What does that mean? Well, Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. So these other priests, imperfect priests in an imperfect system, but now Christ appears as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands like the tabernacle was or the temple was, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of bulls, of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is one of the great things about Jesus. How is Jesus the ultimate high priest? Jesus is a high priest who doesn't offer the blood of some animal. He reconciles us through his own blood. So all of these priests are real and they're bringing in their lambs. They're bringing in their calves are all pointing to the fact that one day we're going to need a priest who's going to bring himself into God. Who's going to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. But why couldn't the other priests have done that? Why couldn't the other, why didn't, why didn't everyone go, Ugh, he's a, he's of the tribe of Levi, right? He's not going to, he's not going to last very long, right? Because we got all these sacrifices to do and instead of lambs, what if, what if the, what if the tribe of Levi had to go and go, all right, hope you're happy, David. Uh, and then, you know, have to die for the people. Why could they not do that? Because what were they not? Perfect. They would just be a sinner trying to atone for a sinner. And this is why those sacrifices, they said, had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish sacrifices. And the priest could never be those things. But in Jesus, we get a priest who can himself be the sacrifice, who, who isn't like, like, the, like the high priest said, oh, I'm serving the people by killing all these animals for you. Jesus is the high priest who says, I serve the people, how? By dying for you, by reconciling you to God through my own blood. And achieving, what does Hebrews say here? An eternal redemption. Not one like that other that, that had to be offered over and over and over every day, every day. And you're wondering, did I give enough? Right? Can you imagine if, if you're trying to give your sacrifices for your sin and you're going, I gave, you know, I gave two lambs. Should I, should I have given three? Uh, did I need to give a bull? Should I have given a bull this time? Imagine if that's what you were wondering about. So the fact that Jesus comes and offers up himself a perfect sacrifice that achieves our eternal redemption. And verses 24 through 26 of Hebrews 9 says this. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things like we just read about, 
but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And think about what the high priest did. See, Jesus, it says, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't intercede for us in a room tucked, tucked in the back of a building somewhere on earth. And even if it's a great building in Jerusalem, the high priest would go into a room stuck in the back of a building in this city, in this one spot on earth. And that's where he would intercede. That thing that was really just a copy of the heavenly thing. This is what the great thing about Jesus is he doesn't reconcile us by going into a room in the back of a building in Jerusalem that only a few people have gone into. Where does Jesus go? Where does it say Jesus goes? He goes to the throne of God itself and intercedes for us. He reconciles us at the throne of God and he doesn't do it over and over like the other priests. He does it once for all of us. You're thinking about the, so if you're wanting to understand the glory of Christ's sacrifice, the glory of Christ as priest, think of all of the sacrifices of all of the animals for all of, of God's people for all time. And none of that could reach the magnitude of the sacrifice that Christ did in himself once for all. I mean, if you think about, just think of your own sin. Think of your own sin. And the fact that Christ was the priest great enough to cover every bit of your own sin. This is why when I tell people, look, you can be sad about your sin. You can lament it. But when you hold on to it, there is nothing noble about holding on to your sin. Because what you're doing when you hold on to your sin and what you did, you're not making much of your repentance. You're making little of Christ's sacrifice. Because Christ is either a priest who can once for all pay the penalty for your sin completely or what God really needs is for you to whine and bemoan over and over about how bad you know your sin really was. If, if your sin was bad and you've given it to Christ, either his sacrifice, either he was that perfect priest or he's not the perfect priest and he needs you to add to it. And he doesn't. So one of the great things about Christ is you can look at your sin, you can bemoan the fact that you sin, you can hate it, but then you give it to Christ and recognize that that sin has been paid for. That's one of the great glories of the difference between Christ and the priests. If we hold on to the guilt of our sin, we're holding on in many ways to the old sacrificial system. Thinking, well, I know, I know I did this, but maybe I need to do it again and again and again every day thinking about how much I've messed up, how badly I've done. That's how the old sacrificial system went. And the only reason you'd return to that is if Christ wasn't enough. One of the great glories of Christ is that he pays for our sin and secures for us, secures for us an eternal redemption. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 says this. Consequently, and this would be a big consequently, this is like 
20 verses later. Consequently, uh, so when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So here again, we see Jesus is the fulfillment of this sacrificial system because he is the perfect priest, but he's also the perfect what? The perfect sacrifice. He is, Jesus is both, is what both the priest and the sacrifice were pointing us to. Because as it says here, you weren't wanting sacrifices. You weren't wanting offerings. You weren't wanting bulls and goats. You were, you were wanting a body. So by, by man's hand, right? If man's blood, if man's hand has shed the blood, man, man has to pay for it. And that's what Christ is doing. He is the body to pay for our sin. That's why uh, it, the, the Bible says that although all the, all the previous priests pointed to him, he is the only priest that can actually reconcile us to God. So none of those other priests in the Old Testament, otherwise, none of, the, none of them can reconcile us to God. We had priests today, they couldn't reconcile us to God. There's only one person that can do that. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God, we go, yes, right? And there's one what? There is one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man, Christ, Jesus, the anointed priest, the anointed Messiah, the anointed sacrifice and sacrificer, Jesus Christ. So, so what's so glorious about Jesus is that in all of that Old Testament sacrificial system, it's all pointing your eyes forward. That's why I tell people, look, if you will read your Old Testament and, and recognize that it's pointing you toward Christ, you're not going to get bogged down in it. You're going to read it and, and, and remember what this is all. Point. If you stop and try and figure out like, the, the sacrifice, how the sacrifices are all going to work out. And you spend all of your time doing that and you understand Leviticus, but you don't understand how Leviticus points to Jesus. You have not been reading Leviticus right. Right? If you, if you, walk, if you walk away with a good timeline of sacrifices and you know exactly what every sin of yours would have required of the Lord and when you'd have to do it and how often, and you don't realize that all of that was pointing to Jesus, you've missed the point of those passages. And that's true of both, uh, let's, let's talk about Leviticus, one of the ones that always trips us up there. But what else did we see here? You get to the end of Exodus, right? What's one of the things that trips us up in Exodus? You start reading about the tabernacle and you're like, oh man, this is pretty elaborate. Uh, why are we reading all of this? Because it's showing you as elaborate and as magnificent as that place was, it was a dirty place in the middle of the desert where someone would go to intercede for you, as grand as it could make it, you know what it wasn't? Heaven. It wasn't the throne of God. So you'd pick it up, you'd break it down, you'd have to clean it off. You'd have to repair it, sew it up, fix it. And you'd have to hope that your enemies didn't destroy it. Not so with Christ. With Christ, we have the fulfillment of all that the prophets pointed to. We have have the priest who is himself the sacrifice. So as you're reading all of those things in the Old Testament about the sacrifices, don't skip them, right? Don't think, well, we don't need to read about this because we're in Jesus now. Realize that all of these things are drawing eyes, like shadows. Like if you, if you walked up and saw a shadow, and I know this because since we had that weird experience at the church the other day, 
where a man randomly walked in in the middle of the day, tell me that he just got out of jail for committing armed robbery, and I went, well, excellent. Glad I'm here alone with you right now. Uh, so after that, you should watch me walk outside. It is like, one, I'm quick like a cat uh, getting from the church to my car. But one thing I always look at, I did this last night, right outside there is you can see the shadows, right? Because when you, if you, what's the shadow going to tell you is coming, right? The shadow lets you know there's something coming. Uh, and so I'm always looking for a shadow. Is there a shadow on the other side of my car? Is there a shadow over there? Well, these things are shadows meant to tell you about what was coming. So when you read, when you're reading through the Old Testament and you're reading these things, don't think, oh, this isn't, this isn't worth it anymore. No, these things are showing you how great Christ is. You won't understand how amazing Christ is. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I haven't got king yet in the other thing. You won't understand how important Christ is as the fulfillment of these things if you haven't spent your time to see the grand and vast description of these things in the text themselves. So Jesus is this fulfillment of prophet and priest, the ultimate picture of the one who doesn't just speak the word of God, but who is the word of God. The one who doesn't just come and do sacrifices for us, the best priest, but the one who is the sacrifice, the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice. So see all of these shadows pointing toward him. Because if you, don't, if you don't understand the shadows, you won't understand the glory that is Christ. You won't be able to say, wait, wait, wait. All of that is summed up in one man? All of those sacrifices given for all of the people every day? In some cases, hundreds of thousands of animals killed in a day. In a day, for one day's worth of sin, just for the people in Israel. And you have a Christ who can offer himself and be a sacrifice that covers all of the sins for all of his people from the beginning of time to the end. That is glorious. That is amazing. I mean, Again, it would be amazing if he could do that just for you. If his life was enough just to cover for your sacrifice, for for your sins, for mine. But the fact that he can once for all lay down his life and cover the sins for all of his people. Glory. Glory. And seeing those shadows in the Old Testament, seeing these pictures in the sacrificial system and in the prophets, seeing those things there, reading all about these words of God, and whether it's a prophet that you loved or, or prophets that you slog your way through, seeing all of them as these people laying out, this is what God has said, this is what God has said, this is the word of God, this is the word of God, to finally have someone who comes and says, I am the word of God. And it's not just going to come through the mouth of a man. It's going to come through the body of one. That's the glory tied up in Christ. That's why when you you see these people in the New Testament, that's why they're going, the Christ is here. The Messiah has come. He's here. All of these shadows fulfilled in him. Which is why the people would look at Christ and say, 
Glory. Glory to Jesus Christ. That's why Peter could say it. You have to give glory to Christ Jesus. And we didn't even get to the last two because I looked at the time and said, there's no way we're going to get through king and son of God uh, in 10 minutes. Uh, so we'll look at those next week. We're, think about that because I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Think about it. We're only halfway through his glory. We're only halfway through the glory of Jesus just as the Christ. And I, I mean, we could have stopped and just said, he's the prophet who fulfills all prophets. And we could have sang songs about that and been happy and said, I'm going to read all the prophets this week, as I know some of you will, uh, just so I can see that all of those are, 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 just, are just shadows of Jesus, the word. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read all of the law, right? And not even just because it's the beginning of my Bible reading plan and I got to get through it. I'm going to read all of the law because I know that all of this, I'm going to read every verse and every sacrifice and I'm going to eat it up. Why? Because I know that all of these things are helping me to understand who my Savior is, who my Christ is. That's the glory of Jesus. And again, we haven't even got to the King of Kings and the Son of God. Glory to our Christ. Hopefully this week, you'll have a week filled with thinking about how glorious Jesus is as Jesus, the Christ. Let's pray. Just as we bow our heads, take a moment and just think of what you know. You may think, I don't know very much about the Old Testament. Just think about all the prophets you know and and what they were doing of speaking the word of God. And think of how amazing some of them are and how, how amazing their words are. Is there, you know, it, it, like Elijah speaking and, and the fire coming down and consuming the altar. Or maybe Isaiah talking about, you know, the great promises of the one who was to come one day, of the, of the suffering servant and all of these things on the lips of these prophets, all of these words of God that fill the pages of our Old Testaments from, from Moses on. And realize that all of those great men of scripture were just shadows of the prophet who would himself be the word made flesh. The very word that created, that sustains the universe by his power has come to save. That's the glory of The Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the perfect, ultimate prophet. And think about what you know about the Old Testament sacrificial system right now. Think about, and you may say, it's always confused me. That's fine. Let that confusing thing be one of the glorious things. It is so elaborate that you can't even get it. And all of that elaborateness and all of that rigmarole and all of the sacrificial system is summed up, completed, pointing to and fulfilled in one man, Jesus Christ, who is both our priest and the sacrifice. What glory. What glory that thousands of pages of scripture can be just shadows of him. Just shadows. All of those events, all of those great and glorious events of the Old Testament, just shadows.
of his glory. Oh, Father, we come to you today in the shade of your glory. Our eyes are fixed on Christ. The Christ, Jesus, the Christ, our great prophet, our great priest. And we come today and we worship and we say, glory, glory to that Holy One. Glory to this Christ. And we thank you for for him who is the word. Who was the sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for our prophet and priest. We thank you for our Christ and we say glory to him. How thankful to know that even as we sing him glory, he is seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us. Even now. What glory. Help us to understand it just a little better this week, father. Just to get another taste of the glory until we see it face to face. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.